I, I don't want to make Alsace wine in South Africa. I don't want to make a South African wine in Alsace. I like to to be able to do risting um, in Alsace and then Shiraz and Chardonnay in South Africa. Hello and welcome to the Ex Anomo Wine Co podcast. A quick note to say thank you to all of you for listening and the messages of appreciation we have been receiving. I'm very glad that some of you are enjoying the podcasts. Uh, we didn't realize the amount of work that we were getting into when we decided to re- release one episode per day, but never mind, we're happy to do it for a short while. Thanks again, and do please share the podcast if you find it valuable. We're in the middle of a government-enforced lockdown here in South Africa, uh, where the sale and movement of wine, at least for now, is forbidden. So to keep ourselves busy, we have decided to release a new podcast episode every day during lockdown. We are relying solely on the internet to record these podcasts and it doesn't always behave. We have done what we can to make it as listenable as possible, but do accept our apologies. Today on the podcast, we have Julian Schall, winemaker and owner of Julian Schall Wines. He's based in Alsace and exclusively works with Grand Cru Rieslings there. He first visited South Africa in the early 2000s when he worked as a cellar hand for Bouchard Finlayson. During that time, a friendship developed with Gordon Newton-Johnson and an opportunity to produce his own South African wine was proposed. Julian has been coming to South Africa to make his Chardonnay and Syrah wines ever since. I wanted to chat to Julian about the similarities and differences in making wine in Alsace and South Africa. It seemed to me at least to be very different climates, obviously working with different varieties, so I wondered how much crossover there was, if any. We also chat about the current state of Alsace wines in the world market, as Julian exports 100% of his Alsace production, so he's quite a good perspective from that side of the business. Without further ado, I give you Julian Schall. I'm joined by Julian Schall. Julian, hello. Hello. Maybe David, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Very well. So you're in Alsace at the moment? Yeah, I'm uh, in Alsace, in Saint-Hippolyte, where that's the place where I'm making wine. Cool, man. So yeah, tell us more about a little bit about your um, Alsace project. Yeah, I've been, um, so I don't have um, a family background in the in the wine industry. So uh, I like to say that I'm, uh, I'm the first generation and uh, and hopefully, uh, maybe not the last one. <laughs> so I, I started uh, making wine in Alsace in uh, 1999 on a very uh, tiny project with a little bit of vineyard. But it really uh, changed a lot in with the vintage 2010 when uh, I create uh, uh, another cellar, a winery, where we are buying grapes, but exclusively uh, from uh, Grand Cru vineyards. And, uh, and for 95%, uh, it's uh, based on risting uh, grapes. So, um, so today, it um, represents more or less uh, 12 hectares in, in total. So, um, yeah, about 50,000 uh, bottles per year. And how many different crew is that, uh, that, is that hectareage um, split between? Um, we, uh, um, we've got about 10, 10 different Rieslings with um, mm-hmm. different Grand crews and um, we do one Giver Straminer, and now we are also starting one Pinot Noir. Oh, cool, man. Awesome. And so how did the South African projects come about? South Africa, I mean, I've been making wine in South Africa for now uh, 17 years, and uh, so when I, uh, I started in 2003, as an intern, I was working for um, Bouchard Finlayson in the uh, Himalayan Arda Valley. That's where um, I um, fell in love with South Africa. And, and yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was amazing for me to discover something different than, than, than France and the old world. So I really, really enjoyed it. And I had the possibility in 2004 to come back to Bouchard Finlayson as a, 
as a more like a seller hand. So that was that was fantastic. So I came back to two different harvests at Pusha um, Finlayson. And during those harvests, there was uh, lots of bride that were organized with all the guys from the valley. And um, I became very good friends with um, Gordon uh, from Newton Johnson. And after that, a few few months later, I think uh, I came back on November or something like that. And um, we had um, a dinner with Gordon in Hermanus. And we had a... We had a late night, probably uh, way too much drinks. And uh, at the end of the dinner, he, um, he said to me, Julian, if you want, you can, you can work with me um, uh, in, at Newton Johnson Winery for the next harvest, but I won't give you any money. That was a bit of a... That sounds like Gordon. Yeah, that was, that was like, wow, well, there's no way to it. I've got, uh, I've got something better to offer. You can actually make your own wine. You just have to buy grapes and a few barrels. You can use my winery my tanks, my press and everything. Extremely generous from him. And this is, uh, this is how I started. They're lovely people, the Newton Johnsons. That's awesome. And so what I want to talk to you about, what interests me most about your situation is Alsace and South Africa seem quite opposite in terms of winemaking. Uh, I mean, you're dealing, as you said, with 95% Riesling, you're dealing with 0% Riesling in South Africa. Is that part of the, the lure in terms of it's so different that um, it's, it's an escape or a, a, a different side to winemaking to Alsace? Or what, what was the real magnetism or the draw that you, you felt to South Africa? That's really true. I mean, it's, it's, it's dramatically different, um, but this is what I like the most. And funny enough, this year, um, my son was with me. He's now uh, nine years old, but he was with me in South Africa for, for the harvest. And after two or three days in the cellar, he, he said to me, it's like, uh, Daddy, it's like you've got almost two different life i mean sort of i mean with with completely different sort of wine you are making and the landscape and the people and the language and everything and um and i think it is got the point this is this is what excites me the most is that I, I don't want to make alsace wine in south africa i don't want to make a south african wine in alsace i like to to be able to do risking um, in alsace and then shiraz and chardonnay in South Africa, which is something that I, I cannot really make in, in, in Alsace. So, so those two opposite um, sides is, is the most exciting thing for me. And, uh, and of course, it's, it's even pushed a little bit higher by the fact that you can do two hours per, per year. So, uh, so obviously, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the bonus. Huh? It works out perfectly, as, as a lot of people have found out um, before, and, I, and I'm, sure, I'm sure that more and more people will, uh, will continue to, um, to do two harvests a year or even, you know, three or four, depending on, you know, cool climate, warm climate uh, in, in the two different hemispheres. Very true. But at the same time, I must admit, sometimes people ask me if I'm a, like a flying winemaker, but I, I don't really see myself as a flying winemaker. To be honest, the, the only, only place where I'm flying is South Africa and I've got, uh, I've got no uh, other um, uh, ideas of making wine somewhere else. And it's, it's, for me, it's really a, a true uh, love story with the country. And uh, so for me, it's, it's, it's only South Africa and Alsace. This is it. I'm not going to make wine uh, uh, in another country. We talk quite often about what's happening in South Africa and what's happening. You tell me what's happening in France in terms of uh, administration and um, logistics and ripening and climactic uh, conditions. With Alsace, what are the what are the the biggest problems in terms of getting good fruit in Alsace? Is it climactic conditions or is it uh, uh, more um, equipment logistics side of things? 
For me, the, the, the big issue we, we sometimes have in France or in Europe in general is that we are very precise on whatever we do in, in the vineyard. The vineyard management is probably one of, of the best in Europe, but sometimes sometimes the winemaking part um, is a little bit less precise. So sometimes you've got a, a great potential in the, in the grapes, in the fruit. Yes. But, um, but the winemaking, um, I mean... When, when the fruit is perfect and winemaking is perfect, obviously it makes the best wine in the world. But but you need you you need to have both. And I think um, the attention to details in terms of winemaking in South Africa is super important. And we should we should learn a little bit from from that in uh, in France. Even though uh, we can make it as as natural as as we want, we we should still. Uh, not be lazy and, and, and look at different aspects and just attention to details doesn't mean that you know that you have to do something with a chemical product or whatever it's just uh, I think that's a big difference so the quality of the fruit in Alsace is kind of the vintage but it's it's always really good I mean on average all the grapes I'm buying there is nothing younger than 40 years old most of the vineyard is organic and some of them are biodynamic I mean I've got absolutely nothing to complain about the quality of the of the fruit it's just um, we get a little bit more attention to, in terms of winemaking and this is the, well, the recipe of what we are doing in Alsace. And then transfer to South Africa what are the the biggest challenges to getting really good wine in the bottle in South Africa in your opinion or in your experience? My experience is really uh, where where you are buying the grapes and um, and from which um, um, region or climate I, I would say and uh, in terms of winemaking you you can't really do anything magical I mean I can't really make a Chardonnay from Elgin with fruit from Stellenbosch or from uh, on, from Swartland it's just uh, it's all it's all different so you have to adapt your your winemaking to uh, to the origin but uh, at the end of the day I think yeah the if you can buy the, the right grapes at really the, the right location, that's um, that's probably the best. That would be the um, the case of the worldwide, wouldn't it? And like you know, all, all, all the secret is just to buy the best grapes. You're making it sound very simple, Julia. Maybe I should give it a go. No, no, no. <laughs> the good thing is that um, you know the farm are quite big, so sometimes you you you've got you, you've got access to the grapes and. It's just like in, in, in Europe, everything is, is small. So yeah. sometimes you struggle to have exactly what you want at the place that you want. Where in South Africa, because of the size of the farm, it's slightly easier. It is. It's not easy, but it's a little bit easier than that. Yeah. Than <laughs> so the South African farmers, the great farmers are a bit more flexible in their in their negoti- negotiations and, and ideas. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, I think so, um, and uh, and I think it's especially in, I mean in South Africa they don't really see uh, the people that are buying grapes as a challenger, and and I think it's they are really in a in a good uh, mentality behind that. And um, I mean my, my grapes, most of my grapes come from Paul Cliver, but they don't really see me as a as a challenger from from their own Chardonnay. So and that's pretty amazing. I'm not sure that this sort of uh, a scenario does exist in Europe. In Alsace, you're buying fruit from vineyards that don't produce their own wine. Um, mostly, it's it's people that does produce some wine, but not okay. a lot because they don't necessarily have the market to sell all the the, the, the bottles. So, um, so at the end of the day, it's a sort of an opportunity for for them to sell some some grapes to me, so they get the cash uh, right right away, and right. they don't have to wait uh, two or three years. So. All of them are making wine, but they're not selling enough wine to, you know, to, to, to bottle the whole production. 
Okay. And, and is it a similar understanding in terms of contracts or uh, agreements between the, in, the, in Alsace as it is in South Africa, or is it very different? Yeah, I think it's pretty much in line. Um, in Alsace, the only thing is that we, we work on three or five years uh, contract because it's important for me to keep the same concrete because otherwise if it disappears from, from my range, it's a little bit complicated. Where in South Africa, we, we are a little bit more flexible because you are working on an appellation where you've got different options for the sourcing. Today, to be honest, um, once again, I mean, it's, uh, everything is, is slightly different for me because once again, most of my grapes come, come from Paul Cleo, so I don't, we, we don't even have contract. We are friends, almost like family, and I think that's, that's enough. Yeah, no, fair enough. In terms of the winemaking, ha- has your style within the South African context, has it, has it uh, changed much since those sort of early days, those 0405 days? Uh, for sure. I think uh, when I started making wine in South Africa, I just, um, because I've done my studies in Burgundy, so I wanted to do the same thing as what I've seen in Burgundy. So exactly same sort of winemaking, you know, uh, um, the old Chardonnay in barrel, 100% malolactic, doing a lot of patronage. And um, so at the end of the day, it was, the result was uh, that the Chardonnay was pretty big uh, and probably too big because what I didn't really understand is that uh, the level of ripeness and acidity in Burgundy really allow you to uh, to work a lot, you know, with the lease and uh, doing those patronage and uh, where you have to be a little bit more careful in South Africa and maybe 100% malolactic is not necessarily the option too because the, the level of malic acidity you've got is, is, is quite, um, I mean, it's much less than what you, you've got in, in Burgundy. So you understand that the, at the beginning you want to make, I mean, to, to make your your South African wine like a like like a French wine, but it doesn't work like that. So yeah. Uh, so that's, and how, and how, how how quickly did you learn that? Was it a vintage or two, or did it take you sort of four or five vintages? Uh, yeah. or? I think it took me like five six vintages. I mean, oh, right. I'm, I'm very <laughs> slow to understand that. <laughs> and so, what changes did you make? Did you change? Did you change an idea about when to pick, or was it a complete change, or was it just one or two things? Mainly um, based on the malolactic, I try to avoid the malolactic on the Chardonnay. Uh, that's yeah. that's really something that I I, I try my best to, to yeah to have something that that doesn't really go to malo. And also to um, I like to use um, not always you know oak barrels, but also using a little bit of um, in the blend a portion of um, stainless steel. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the past I used to use a lot of old barrel uh, oak barrel, but but even though it doesn't give you, you know, that wooden wood, wood character, it still gives you this roundness, which is something that is probably a little bit too much. So that, that was a bit of a change to have a, a portion of the blend in a tank that stay very nice and fresh with a sharp acidity that yeah. is then yeah. blended with the, the rest of the component that, uh, that is actually inbound. Yeah, I would have thought from, a, from an outside point of view, and obviously not from a technical point of view, Burgundy and, and South Africa would have been almost opposites in, in Chardonnay production and what the fruit gives you, you know. I mean, like in South Africa, you don't really have to, you don't struggle to get ripe fruit or, or big flavours in, in, in the fruit, but you, you might struggle to get uh, minerality and, and acidity and, and tension. And whereas the opposite would be true for Burgundy. So you need to work the wines harder to get that sort of um, uh, richness and, and structure in there. Would that be a fair statement or am I being very simplistic about it? 
No, it is it is a bit like that, but at um, at the same time, so what really differs is also um, the aromatics from the wine because because Burgundy, um, I mean, all the Chardonnay is on on limestone, and um, knowing very well, I mean, the limestone with the Riesling in Alsace, it's always a little bit, you know, more um, high when it's young and a little bit more restrained, and I mean, it, it gives you a lot of complexity. But it's always a little bit harder when it's young. When, if you compare to South Africa, most of us are all working on uh, on acid soil, decomposed uh, granite or, or clay or, or whatever. But always uh, quite acid soil. Um, the Chardonnay are very aromatic, even when they are when they are very young. Even at the very early stage, it's, it's super aromatic, and um, and got a little bit less acidity. So that's. Uh, that's the whole thing for me, and, and the very exciting thing is that South Africa uh, and South African wine give you a lot, even even just after the bottling, it's still, uh, you know, uh, you don't have to wait a year or two to, uh, to enjoy a bottle of wine, and, uh, and that's uh, that's something that's, uh, that, that is very different in Burgundy. So um, that makes more sense. And the, the Syrah that you make here in South Africa, it, it, I mean, for a long time, that would have been the only red wine you've been making. Would that be right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, today it's still the, the only red wine I'm making officially. You've got a few under the radar, have you? <laughs> I've, I've done lots of tries, um, but, uh, no, no, no. but the only issue has uh, went in, into the past. So no, I just want to talk to you about that um, because obviously you don't have a. Uh, you're only making that once a year. You don't you don't go back to home to Alsace and and work with skins that much and red ferments and all those sort of things. Talk me through your experience of, of making the, the Syrah. The Syrah is um, it's very exciting for me because because once again I'm I'm really uh, most of the wine I'm, I'm make is is white wine, so there is always an attraction to do something different. And uh, and Syrah, I'm really a big fan of Syrah from the Rhone Valley. In, yeah, and I really wanted to uh, to try to make a, um, a Shiraz or a Syrah uh, on the on the cool climate in South Africa, just to, uh, to have something that is slightly lower in alcohol and it's got uh, a little bit more acidity. It is super exciting for me to see, um, I mean, to work with with those grapes, to see the color, to 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 go through the through the aging, and to be honest, I think I was um, I, I probably when I started making Shiraz, I probably did it more for myself than really thinking about what I'm gonna do with those wines. <laughs> it's super super exciting, and uh, I think the Shiraz in South Africa has got a big potential. You mentioned other iconic styles of Syrah being, you know, Southern Rhone and, and Australia. Although Australia is also a big place and has different styles within it. Where do you see South Africa or cool climate South Africa uh, sitting in that spectrum or in that sort of continuum? I think it's a it's a very niche market at the moment where um, it's um, it really has started with uh, for me uh, um, with Constantia, Guinness, for example. Um, but now we've got really really good uh, Syrah from from Elgin as well, and uh, so I think it's still um, a little bit early early days. Uh, but I think there is a there is a real potential for sure, and there is an attraction from the clients in general for cool climates, uh, wines that are a little bit more focused on the um, on the freshness and the fruit character, something that is not too jammy. And uh, so I think it's, uh, once again, I mean, it's still uh, a niche, but, but, but South Africa has got cool climate and cool climate that can really uh, produce great cool climate shimmers.
You sell both of your Alsace and your South African wines internationally. Um, I mean, you market the wines also. Tell me about your experiences internationally in terms of you showing up at a potential buyer and you have both your Alsace and your South African wines with you. What is usually the, um, the reception of both? What questions do they ask and what do they want to know? And yeah, it's always, um, I think it's, uh, it's added value for sure in terms of, um, of uh, wine sale because then you can, you can talk about two different countries and, and sometimes you can find a market for one, uh, one country and maybe not for the other one. But um, at the end of the day, I think both are helping each other, if I can, if I can say that, because it's classic market where definitely resting and Alsace Grand Cru is, uh, is probably uh, stronger. I would think about United States, for example. But on the other hand, there are other markets like Netherlands or Sweden, where South Africa has got even more attraction than really Alsace Grand Cru. So I think for me, it's, uh, it's brilliant because you can have the, the, the best of both worlds. And, uh, and I think it's also quite interesting when you do a winemaking, winemaker dinner that you've got this a larger range of uh, of wine and not only for one country. So it's actually a little bit, it's not unique, but it's uh, something different. Has the, the Syrah um, uh, winemaking informed your Pinot Noir winemaking with the, with the, with the new wine from Alsace or is, is it just two different? Two different things, but I think the reason why I'm, I'm trying, let's be honest, I'm trying making Pinot Noir in Alsace for the, I've been trying it for the last five years, and it's probably just okay. the first year that I'm really going to bottle it. The, the origin of that is first, I've done my studies in Burgundy, so I've got a love for, for, for Pinot Noir from Burgundy, but it's probably also because of, uh, of Gordon from Newton Johnson. I would love to make a Pinot Noir that is really decent and something that okay. you can share together. So I think he's, uh, yeah, he's putting me on pressure. I won't do that in, in South Africa because mm. guys that are making the best Pinot Noir in the country, they, they don't have enough grapes for themselves. So. Yes. They're happy to share the Chardonnay and the, uh, and the Syrah, but not necessarily the Pinot Noir. <laughs> you can dream about it. <laughs> no, I would love to make, a, to make a great Pinot Noir. Uh, mm. and, and, and Alsace Pinot Noir has changed a lot. It used to, in the past, it used to be really considered almost like a rosé because uh, people who are not really taking it seriously in the vineyard that w- that was probably you know overcropped and you couldn't really make something any decent but the last five six years uh, Pinot Noir in Alsace has really increased in terms of quality vineyard management but also uh, global warming also does help to have a, a you know a, a better ripeness and, and and less rot and all those things so I think uh, I think everything is coming together now to make um, to make decent Pinot Noir and uh, yeah, and I want to be a part of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> that they are trying their best. Yeah, that's that's the thing for the Pinot Noir. Alsace is obviously one of the classic regions of the of the world of wine with their racing. It seems almost like the grand days or the, the halcyon days of Alsace are behind it. I know from when I was in Australia that uh, Alsace Riesling uh, sales were, were falling globally. Um, is that continuing or has there been a, a shift? What's the current situation in Alsace in the world market? The current situation for Alsace is not good. Let's, uh, let's face the truth. Um, we, um, in general, in, in the region... Uh, Alsace producers are struggling to sell the wine. Um, the different reason for that, in general, um, 
Alsace uh, wine producer been a bit lazy on the export market. You have to understand that Alsace is a very touristic region, very, very touristic region. So we've got, I don't know, three, four million tourists per year. So lots of people were just waiting for the clients at the testing room. And um, they used to buy two cases and now they're buying two bottles. And uh, so there is a sort of a decline. And also the last 15 years uh, or 20 years, uh, the level of sugar has been a bit out of control. Uh, residual sugar on every little bottle of wine, different varieties. So the people tested the wine at the testing room uh, and then uh, and then it's good because you've got a little bit of sweetness. But when you come back home, then you don't know what to do with those wines because they are not sweet, they're not dry either. So I think there was um, a misunderstanding. There is a bunch of um, new producers that are really changing. I think the potential is huge in Alsace, but yes, you need to, to export, you need to go on the market. Obviously, you need to make a style of wine that, that works uh, internationally, because otherwise there is no point. Are you saying that the, the sugars are getting higher and higher? used to be now. It tend to be a bit drier, but since uh, only a few years before that, you could have... Uh, yeah, wrestling with 9, 10, 12 grams of residual sugar and, and, and same thing for the PSG and, and all the other varieties. So, so that was probably wrong. But to be honest with you, I can't really, I'm not really qualified for that because I'm really in a, in a niche market with the Grand Cru. So I'm, a, um, I'm, I'm, I'm exporting 100% of my production. I don't even sell a single bottle in France. Oh, wow. But yeah, all, all my wrestling are dry. Um, works very well internationally and I'm sold out vintage after vintage so it doesn't that doesn't represent the reality of Alsace at all uh, okay we've been lucky and also I'm, I'm, I'm traveling a lot and I absolutely love it but um, but I hope I'm probably the only one that does export all the, the, the production oh, very interesting I mean obviously Germany is the other great wrestling uh, producer well probably the great wrestling producer with uh, with Austria and and Alsace Looking at the trends there, their wines are getting drier and drier also just through consumer demand, not through anything else. Well, I think it's also the style of the wine that I like. And I always remember a few years ago, I think it was almost 10 or 12 years ago, um, I had one of my recent that had 6 grams or 7 grams of original sugar. It was really getting dry here in Alsace with all my friends and everything, but... I bought a bottle uh, in South Africa and we had a testing, I think, with, uh, with Jacqueline and Craig that are uh, from Plan Constantia. And I, re- I realized that it was actually testing sweet in South Africa. You, you understand? When all of a sudden, I realized that I was, I was, I was wrong. It was actually testing a bit, a bit sweet. And, but sometimes your palate, you know, change because you're only testing the, the wine from the region and all those things. So you need sometimes to travel to bring your bottle of wine uh, along with you and and testing it uh, outside and then uh, then you change your mind but that's been well, 10 or 12 years ago so uh, so i think um, that really opened my eyes to say like oh, no, if, if i make something with wrestling it has to be it has to be dry and it has to be clear on the bottle and and that's probably one of the not the recipe but one of the things that uh, that contribute to uh, Success sounds very pretentious, but uh, but you understand what I mean. What, what I mean. Success is, I mean, you can have success is not a, a grandiose, uh, egotistical term. It's either you sell it or you don't. You know, that's a, that's a success. I would have thought. It's exciting for me because obviously, um, because you're right. I mean, there's uh, some some issues to face and to change, and uh, but at the same time, for me, it does create a lot of opportunities, a lot of 
of two things that is possible and, uh, and, and get my hands on grapes that I wouldn't even dream about. Um, but uh, so you, you understand it's, uh, uh, so yeah. it's a it's a it's, it's a buyer's market in uh, in Alsace for grapes. Definitely, but you um, but for that you probably need to be almost from Alsace. You understand to have that uh, that that sort of love for all the Alsace wine, and, and it does yeah. work very well on the export market. I I, I mean I really US and but even uh, even UK and and lots of other markets are really supportive for for my production. So it is possible. You understand we we shouldn't in Alsace we shouldn't hide behind general problems because at the end of the day there is there is always a niche market for your wine yeah and also no one cares about your problems you know like in terms of you know the, the wine drinker you know choosing a bottle off a wine list or a, off the off the shelf of their retailer they don't care about the problems they just want to know what what's good and if, is it good value and does it you know represent what they want out of a bottle of wine and, and added to that there is a real um, fashion for risking now uh, you, you you don't see that that much in south africa yet but it mm. might might come but uh, but internationally the, the, the risking from the finger lakes from clare valley from lots of different uh, from from germany um, um i mean people are really selling a lot of risking and it's, it's getting very attractive for lots of for lots of uh, consumer there is no reason it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a wine culture where Riesling was absolutely a huge part of the white wine story. You know, there was Riesling, there was Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc pretty much. And there was other bits and pieces in Australia, but, but Riesling was certainly a huge part of what we drank and sold every day. That's probably the white wine that fr- not, not from South Africa that we buy the most of is Riesling, mm-hmm. Virginette and I, to be honest, because we, uh, we can't get much of it here. Have you, have you actually thought about making a Riesling in South Africa? Thought about it, but the problem is it's it's a it's a little bit risky for me. Uh, you have to uh, make sure that I make something that I'm, I'm um, that I'm really convinced and I'm really proud of, because otherwise it uh, might uh, have a, a bad effect. On, on well, you, you, you don't have to you don't have to put it in in bottle and and try to make people pay for it. I mean, you can always just make it. Uh, and then decide then. But uh, I understand your point. I mean, is there too much sort of uh, to lose in terms of um, there's, yeah, there's, there's not enough upside? And it's a, it's a bridge that I don't necessarily want to build, you understand, because, because South Africa is South Africa for me. Alsace is Alsace, and I like yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the most uh, sort of uh, independence, if I can say that, uh, even though they're adding by, uh, by Sophie and I, but, it's, but uh, I like to, to think that... Uh, that when I go to South Africa, I will do something completely different. <laughs> no, fair enough. Absolutely. Makes sense. Julian, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate your time and, um, and your knowledge. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, David.